1: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: If you want to make an impact online, GoDaddy.com has what you need. com names as low as $1.99. Plus, world-class hosting, fast and easy website builders, and much more. As a listener of the Talking Metal Podcast, enter METAL2, that's M-E-T-A-L-2, when you check out, and you will save an additional 10% on any order. Some restrictions may apply. See site for details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com, official sponsor of the Talking Metal
0: Podcast. The best hard rock, the best heavy metal, Talking Metal, a podcast hosted by Mark Striegel and John Astronomy, available through iTunes and most other podcast providers. Feel the power, feel the glory, TalkingMetal.com.
2: Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal podcast. Mark Striegel here, checking in with you from New York City. We have a very special episode today. Don Dokken, the uncut Talking Metal on Fuse interview. We're going to air it in its entirety here for you. And uh, it's a real great interview. We got to go to the studio where Don was working on the album Lightning Strikes Again, which is currently out, available on iTunes. Use those links in today's show notes to download the new Dokken album, Return to the Classic Sound. It's great. But anyways, we were out there when he was working on it. It was almost done when we were there, but he played us some of the mixes, and he was continued, continuing to tweak the mix a bit. Uh, John Levin was there in the studio with him, the guitar player, a bunch of engineers. We had the whole Fuse crew with us, and and it was just a, a great hang with Don, who rolled in after having a a few Red Bulls and, and poured himself a drink and sat down with John and I and talked some metal. We... Spoke on everything from Van Halen to Metallica to Kevin Dubrow, whose passing was a little more recent back in December. So anyways, it's a great interview. Check it out and enjoy it and tune in to Fuse. There are still airing Talking Metal on Fuse and reruns uh, late night Friday night, so definitely tune in to those. And uh, believe me, Talking Metal will be back in the mainstream in some way or another sooner than later. And let's get into some letters before we get into the interview. I salute you, John and Mark. I recently stumbled across your podcast through iTunes and I have become an avid fan of your everything metal mumblings. The interviews are killer, and your honest enthusiasm in the music you love is both evident and appreciated. It is so refreshing to have regular updates from the metal world, and I can't get enough metal. My name is Wall Ace Norton. Wallace Norton, but he spells it Wall Ace Norton. I hail from the great white north, Canada that is, where the air is colder and the beer is better. I'm 37 years old and I grew up on a healthy diet of metal and hard rock. My first concert was Motley Crue and Accept back in 84 and I've been hooked ever since. Over the years I've been witness to well over 80 shows ranging from Crew, Kiss, Dio, ACDC, Alice Cooper to Canadian Rockers, Kick, Axe, Helix, Killer Dwarves, Silk Tonic, Kim Mitchell, Rush, and many more. Uh, If you ever want to talk metal with a crazy Canuck, or you need any assistance north of the border, you know where to reach out. Uh, Keep talking metal and cheers to this Molson Canadian. Wally Norton. Wally, thanks, man. We appreciate it, and we appreciate your support, and... We have a lot of listeners in Canada, and Canada is a metal country. The biggest-selling album in Canada of all time, ACDC's Back in Black. Here in the States, of course, it's Michael Jackson's Thriller. Uh, So interesting, a lot of great music coming out of Canada always. So thanks for checking in, dude, and I'm glad you enjoy our metal mumblings. I love that, which is exactly what we do, and we're going to do that momentarily with Mr. Don Dokken been a fan of don's ever since i was a kid always loved Dokken and am psyched that they finally have a new record out that is back rocking hard in the traditional Dokken sound lightning strikes again is that record and please download it using the links in today's show notes here's another letter wanted to thank you guys for the dan lorenzo interview interviews and i guess there kind of were two of them because he was in on the daryl keck interview somewhat Dan's such an underrated player and amazing metal writer, and it was good to hear him on the show. It's great that you guys champion some of the unsung metal legends. Cool. Thanks for writing in, man. Here's one from our good friend TJ. Hi, Mark and John. First of all, I have to apologize for the huge lack of emails that I've been sending you lately. I've been very busy lately. I am actually just graduating from high school. Which is very exciting. So, I actually just got caught up on the most recent shows within the past two days. So, yeah, I basically wanted to email to say that I'm still alive and I'm listening to the show and whatnot. And now that it's summer, I'll be sure to send you emails on a regular basis. Talk to you later. Keep on rocking. TJ, congratulations on graduating from high school. You're a young lad and we have a lot of young Talking Metal listeners and uh, listen, man, we uh, we totally appreciate your support. It's been almost three years since we started this podcast. I think in August is when we started it and I believe I would need to check the, the notes and every time I say this, I get some emails from people who claim that they were the first to to write in. But I believe you were the first Talking Metal listener to ever send us an email and I appreciate that and it's amazing that you're still hanging in there and listening to this podcast so thanks dude and good luck to you and uh hopefully you're going on for more schooling in college and and definitely please keep in touch and one one thing that's interesting about tj is he's such a devoted fan of talking metal but i do not believe he is on the talking metal forums if he is he never posts because I, I don't recall seeing many of his posts and it, it, the talking metal forums which was uh, set up by Jan, john casimano another great addition to uh, the Talking Metal family, is is such a social environment for all you listeners out there. So TJ, if you want, please uh, join us on the Talking Metal forums, and I'm on there every day chatting away with you guys and uh, having fun. So TalkingMetalForums.com is the place for you guys to all join us and hang out. Keep those reviews going on iTunes. Uh, For all you iTunes subscribers, go write a review of the show. And uh, we love the good reviews, but, hey, there's bad ones up there, too. So um, tell us what you think of the show, man. We read those. And what else? Uh, Yeah, keep the emails coming. TalkingMetal at Yahoo.com. Send me an email. It's Striegel.com mark at gmail and i believe uh john i forget what email address he has a few accounts he has listed up there but uh, go to the contact section of talkingmetal.com and you'll find john's email you can read our bios up there we have a top 20 area which isn't limited to just metal it's you know 20 songs we suggest that you put on your ipod we need to actually update that at some point soon Uh, And that's about it. Let's get into the Don and interview, Uncut, recorded last December, I think the week before Christmas out in Los Angeles, when Don was mixing the Lightning Strikes Again album. And we did uh, the interview with Don in the morning, early afternoon, and then we headed over to Long Beach Arena, the famous Long Beach Arena where Iron Maiden recorded live after death. Uh, There was a great show going on there that night with Killswitch Engage and Lamb of God and The Devil Driver and Soil Work. And so we hung out there and rocked out with those guys and actually did interviews with all them. There was uh, a lot of those, actually, a lot of those interviews we did there ended up in the Fuse On Demand Talking Metal, hour-long, or close to an hour-long special. It was On Demand last month. I think they'll put it back On Demand next month. They're going to do a part two. It's great. And, And the interviews are edited, but they're not quite as cut up and choppy as the actual Fuse show. So if you have On Demand, definitely go to the Fuse section there because they have been posting Talking Metal stuff up in uh, in the Fuse On Demand section, including the pilot was up there for a while, which, of course, the great Rob Halford wrote the theme music for the pilot. It was not used in the, uh, the episodes that followed, the half-hour episodes. I guess they couldn't work things out. To get the uh, rights to the Talking Metal theme song in the um, in the episodes, but they did work it out for the pilot, and it sounds great. and And if if you missed that, definitely go to Fuse On Demand, and you can hear that that great music that Rob Halford did for us. Uh, Fight has a bunch of new stuff out, by the way, which I meant to tell you guys about um it's old stuff but it's been remastered or re-released in a box set well you know i'll talk about that in the next episode let's get into some classic docking here followed by the docking interview followed by some brand new docking and everybody needs to use the link on talkingmetal.com in today's show notes to go download lightning strikes again the brand new album by docking and uh, show some support show that podcasts do sell records Right now, this is Just Got Lucky by Dokken, then into the interview with the man himself, Don Dokken.
1: when Mick was here yesterday, he's like, oh, mine are the same way. I'm always crazy gluing them. And, <laughs> uh, after this year, no more gold no more records. I didn't
3: oh, know that? Really? Wow.
1: Nope. Because they don't make records. Right. So let's say you sell half a million records. They're going to give you a little fucking CD, a little yeah. thing, because they're CDs. I go, well, but that just, yeah. a record is like iconoclastic. Right. right, right. A record is a record. You know, you yeah. got a gold record. I want my goddamn gold record. Right. Got, I guess from now on, they're going to put a little, you know, get a little CD, and your little thing, and I saw it, and I go, man, that looks so cheesy. I yeah. go, you sell all those records, and this is what you get, huh?
4: Right.
3: Just so, a regular CD. Too. <laughs> you know, you can just Fitz, take yeah. your CD and put it in the frame.
1: Fitzgerald Hartley, that was the, the <laughs> company for, you know, 20 years, and they're gone. They're gone. Don, I think, did you want to in the I middle?
4: Feel
1: your, uh, or. So that's the thing. Now, So I started ordering a bunch of gold records for people. I said, I better get them now, because that's it, you know? Yeah.
3: Yeah, do they have the graphics and all of the one. artwork? Like, if you want to reorder, like, like a, an older one from, John, from back the... in the day?
1: No, that's the problem. Oh, okay. Like, I just ordered some for Christmas for for the artist that designed no, it, oh. and yeah, they're I like, the they're like, well, okay. we don't have okay. the label. You know, they oh, can take okay, a CD so and right. scan it, but if you want a record, well, you need the label. Right, you need. Well, the, the, the no screen. one's been hanging out of those for twenty-five oh, years. Wow. Yeah. So I had literally, you know. I had to take a record, send it to them. They took it apart, scanned the label, wow. scanned the artwork. And then they said, well, just send me a CD or an album so we can scan the artwork. And I said, you know, I think this is really bizarre, but I don't own a and CD or a record. And that's wow. true. I don't own one. I don't have any. Because, you know, my kids over the years, they would...
3: Grab them, right? Yeah, you know.
1: <laughs> oh, is that your dad? Don't... Yeah, sure, here, have a CD. Have a record. And then over the years, they just they were mean, gone. And that. I don't buy them. I don't listen to my music. Quite honestly, I don't sit and listen to Docking every day. I have on this record, which has been really weird. You know, John, I just took all the Docking records and I found, and they're were, and they burned. And I stuck them in my car, I had to listen to Dokken over and over again because it was a long time ago and I had to get in this headspace for this record of what did people like about us. I had to break it down as a producer, like, okay, we have catchphrases, and I found out this really weird novelty thing. You know, almost 80% of all Docking hits only had three words. <laughs> How weird is that? Think about it. It's not lucky. It's (laughs) It's not love. I'm the hunter, alone again. You know, they're all one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And I'm like, just got lucky, alone again, in my dream, I'm the hunter. I go, oh my God, three words. Into the fire. Into the fire. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I get it. That's why burn like a flame wasn't very popular. It was, don't you know that that our love is burning, burning like a flame? Too many syllables. It would have been a hit if you didn't have so many syllables. It's like the
3: Steven Seagal movies, like Hard to Kill. Everyone had
1: da, 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 three. Die Hard 1, Die Hard 3. Everything, I guess maybe it's the mentality of, of of the human race now that they, you know, they don't give me too much information. Right. You know, just well, make it eh, eh,
2: eh, Speaking of three words, lightning strikes again. Right. You're mixing it here. You've invited us down to the yep. studio. Yep. We are honored to be here with somebody we've been a fan of for a very long time. Oh. And... You've recorded a lot in this studio. It has a quite a history for you. Yeah, Um,
1: and it's the only studio within twenty miles of here. And I've lived in Manhattan Beach my whole life, so I made it real convenient. Mm -hmm. You could drive ten minutes. You could be totally shit faced. I go, it's a seventy-five percent chance I can get home without getting caught. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. great. I mean, what what a
3: historic place. And the cool Mm -hmm. thing is, you feel comfortable here, so you know everybody, and you know it just makes it such a cool, easy recording process when you're comfortable in the studio. Yeah,
1: I know the studio, and I worked with the owner, Wynn Davis, you know, we've known each other since, like, 1980, and I just I just been, I just just been, know every little nook and cranny, and seeing it go through its phases and changes, and, yeah, we've done a lot of stuff here, and it's funny, because we do rock records, but then again, there's people like No Doubt have worked here, right. Sublime, did their, I guess their one and only record here, they only did one, right, before he passed away? So that was I it. believe so. That yeah. was it. Two. Two records? Two, yeah, well, they did them here, and so it was like cross the gamma, you know. And I used to own a recording studio actually next door. We wow. had Dockin' Studios, 710. I had it for eight years. We cut uh, Dysfunctional and a bunch of albums there. But like this, you know, it was an industrial park and I had a lease. And then all of a sudden I got a notice and said, We've sold the property. We're going to put up 85,000 condos. Oh, you're, you're out of here. So know. I went, oh, Goodbye to studio. So, uh, but I've been, yeah, I've come in here a long time. I mean, Mick has cut, yeah, it's, it just brings back a lot of It kind of looks like a Chinese pagoda in here. That, yeah. yeah has, it, has it changed or has it always? Kind of oh yeah. This thing? wasn't here. I mean, when when the studios first started, it was just that room, and that room, and this, this was like a machine shot.
3: Wow. And they
1: went out of business, so they he blew the wall out. And then we said, well, that'll be a drum room. We'd cut amps in here, and then uh, he put a kitchen. And then we used to always say we all stink to high heaven, and so you know because <laughs> we're sweaty playing. Can you put a shower in? And so that's that's the. Did way you guys it's ever played. sleep over here? Oh, you kidding me? That's why we had that big couch in front of the console <laughs> on there. Too many times I just said, look, I- I'm too tired to go home. Wow. I got to tell you, there's, nobody gets better sleep than in a recording studio because it's soundproof. Right, right. And you don't realize, even no matter where you live or how quiet it is, I have a house way up in Benedict Canyon, and it's really quiet, but you hear cars and the wolves chasing deer and whatever, but when you sleep in a, in a control room, you close those doors, it's like a tomb. Nothing. It's a tomb. Cool. And you seem like you just fall asleep for five minutes and you wake up and you go, damn, I can't sleep. Oh, it was ten hours. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I get, I, really many cool. times I said, I need some sleep. I go, I think I'll go crash in the studio and just, try. it's pitch black, there's no windows, right. no sound, dead, no input, and you just, you're gone. You're just gone.
3: It's like better than a hotel, you know. I, I'm starting to think if I need sleep, I'll just uh, call up and rent some studio space and, and just go. go in and crash. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> the old. T-
1: I tell you, I've had a million musicians say, "Man, there's nothing like a good night's sleep in a control room where it's absolutely dead silence," and and it's it's nice. Cool.
3: Now, in addition to recording here, you're going back to your house and doing some recording as
1: well. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, you know, I've always lived in Manhattan, but then I, I uh, bought a house down in Laguna Niguel. It's towards San Diego, a beach house and. And so um, I just uh, been staying down there a lot, you know. Like Manhattan Beach was my stomping grounds, and then I have a little house up in where all the rich, crazy people live up in Bandit Canyon. <laughs> I, I lived like right down the street from Gene Simmons, and I was driving hey. by a couple about a month ago, and, and he was selling it. Oh, oh, he sold his house. Yeah, wow. I was you know, I wave at him sometimes. He's walking down the street. Hey, Gene, and. Uh, I had a crazy was it two years ago? I had I went over there for Thanksgiving. That was an interesting experience. <laughs> I thought <laughs> well, it was gonna be a big party. It. Well I thought it was gonna be a you know a big huge you know, he's a famous rock star, I'd be a big huge party. It was just Shannon and and, 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 and Nick <laughs> and Sophie and, and uh a couple people and me and know uh, yeah, there was like maybe eight people, that was it. So I was expecting to walk into this rock star.
4: Right. Thanksgiving.
1: It's, 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 and what was really cool though is Shannon cooked you know, you, when you have that kind of money or that wealth, you figure you get the right main chef or something. Right, right. Yeah, chef yeah, and yeah. all that. But Shannon cooked all the food and it was just, you know, killer gravy, mashed potatoes and all and, and Shannon cooked everything and it was really the bomb. I mean she oh, cooked wow. she, she cooked the whole dinner by herself and you know, we just hung out and had dinner and then, you know, Gene drugged me into his the kiss room. Right, yeah, the well kiss the room. And then we listened to we just him and I just sat there and listened to music. Cool.
3: That's cool. F- what, what
1: kind of stuff? He had some strange stuff, like it sounded like the Beatles, exactly like the Beatles, wow. but the words were different.
3: And it was a new band that he was looking
1: at? No, it was just bands that he had like Beatles, Kiss, Zeppelin, Aerosmith, like all these musicians that record these songs and sound exactly like old hits, but the words were different. Wow. Like parody, almost a little like Weird Al. Weird Al yeah. But I mean, you know, one had Strawberry Fields Forever, and I think it was Strawberry Malt Liquor Forever, or something <laughs> like that. You know? It was, it was really trippy. So we, you know, we just, you know, we just talked about his. Yeah, that guy's got a lot going on. He's got his race car team. Oh yeah. And Sweet. he's building some houses. I think in 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 Korea, he's building homes in yeah. swampland and. Uh, really, and I, and I so we just hung out and talked, and it was interesting to hang out with someone. I mean, we know each other. That's
3: what I was going to yeah. ask. Did you know him back in the Oh, you know, yeah, we toured 80s. together. So, right.
1: Yeah, we, we did the Unmasked tour with him. Oh, cool. When Eric, God rest his soul, was in the band, and yeah. uh, Eric was in the band, and it was uh, uh, Bruce Kulick, yeah, right. and I think it was one of their first Unmasked tours, and we did that tour, and it was right when we were, like, just... I think I do and Key had come out, and, you know, and had done, like, a million copies in three wow. weeks, so... We, uh, we gave them around for their money. Yeah, so well, I was going to say, guests. at
3: that time, uh, you guys were possibly selling, probably selling more records than they were. At
1: yeah, then. yeah, we were. But yeah, you guys were opening, yeah, but, we're they special were, guests. but you still
3: had, your record was probably higher on the charts. Yeah, higher on the
1: charts, selling more records and more merch. But I mean, you know I, you know, I think people didn't, you know, nobody seemed to gravitate to that unmasked thing. Right. I think it really freaked people out when they did that, you know. The makeup, right? Kiss his kiss. Right. You know, you they look you better with the makeup on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gene will say that. He's the first one to say that. You know, you, you look better with the makeup on. But it was interesting to have Thanksgiving over there. So it was, that's great. Uh, it was pretty wild. You mentioned that. Um, I'm sorry. Can I hold you guys
4: up one Your
0: necklace is clinking a
3: little. Yeah. You know what's funny is that I, I was trying to get my um, bearing on like the geography out. of. Uh, of Los Angeles, which I, I didn't quite know, and I, I pulled it up on like MapQuest yesterday, and mm-hmm. it's one of the roads that just happened to jump oh, out no. at me, and that's yeah. the just the, I don't know why I focused in on that, and I thought I said I thought Gene lived on that street, and yeah. so that's where you have a house too. Yeah, I have
1: a, like a half an acre, and and I have uh, my main house and a guest house, and it's I bought it because there's no neighbors, and it's oh, and it's up cool. against a five acre uh, like oak preserve. Oh, cool. There's which which no is great neighbors. because nobody
3: can build on the other side mm-hmm.
1: of that. What's funny, I have, like, the like they always say, buy the crappiest house, you know, in the most expensive neighborhood. Canyon. I said, let's put it this way, Gene's garage is bigger than my entire <laughs> house, okay? But my house is really little, and, and the funny thing is, is the neighbor behind me who's building a house is Paul Allen. Wow. He's got a couple dollars, <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: and he's building, I don't know what he's building. I thought, they say it's a house, it looks more like the uh, Beverly Center. I mean, it's, 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 like, yeah. it's big. Gigantic mansion. So, my house is here, and, and, and our properties are kind of sharing, and his, he's building some Whopper up there. It's It's, it's, wild.
3: it's funny, I, I used to have some friends that it lived in this really nice neighborhood, <laughs> and they were like all nice houses, and at the end of the street, it looked like the Adams family mm-hmm. house. They had like one crazy house. That
1: was kind of my house, you know, because every, you know, you drive up in and it's like mansion, 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 mansion. And I said, just go up to this street and then turn left, and I said, there was this really like Looking crappy, rundown old English <laughs> cottage. They go, oh, I know where that is, and the colonist cycle, Yeah, that's my house. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I bet
3: it's cooler than you. It's yeah. pretty
1: good. I fixed it up. It's very peaceful. It's got a lot of fruit trees. I'm into. it Sounds oh, cool. funny, but I'm into. I've got lemon trees and mulberries, boysenberries, limes, oranges, and that's just a thing. I guess it's a it's a meditative thing. You know, you go out in the morning, and I have this picture. I woke up one morning. I, I plant all these rose bushes. And they just, they're about this big, and then they're, they are this big, and then they are this big, and, and then all the roses were gone. I was like, what? They're dying. I can't figure it out. What the hell's going on? And it looked like somebody was coming up and stealing them. So I woke up one morning, opened my curtains. Here's three deer. And so they go, going, munch, oh, munch, wow. munch. They were eating my roses. Yeah. It was like a mom, a mom deer, and a, a you see, it was, it was the <laughs> buck and, and the doe and his little baby. And they were eating all these rose bushes I ate. And I was like, Scram. But it's kind of cool to wake up. They're, they're like, yeah, right there, feet right from my bed. And they're sitting there just munching away. Wow.
3: And they're not afraid, you know? No.
1: They, they I looked up at them, like, I'm, like, tapping the window. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. could invite me. Ted Nugent over. He
2: could take care of those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. dang.
1: <laughs> okay. Get my bow and arrow. <laughs> but
2: you mentioned Gene has a lot of right. stuff going on. I mean, you have a ton of stuff going on right now. The, there is a, two records that you're working on, right? There's yeah, a second solo record. Mm-hmm. You got Lightning Strikes Again. You have a solo tour you're doing just on your own, then Which I'm maybe scared to death and maybe another about. Let's talk about that. This is the first time you're ever going to go out just you and a piano and a guitar, right?
1: Yeah, it's scary, and I'm not even sure I'll even have a piano. It's just a. There was a, an album that came out, I think on BH One, called Metal Stripped, mm-hmm. and they have a couple of versions. It's all these artists that have unplugged versions of their songs. So they put, uh, I think, uh, In My Dreams on it from the one live night we did a long time ago. They put it on this compilation, um, Metal Stripped. So they said, can you come down? We're going to do the you know the release date and yada, yada. And they said, Tesla's playing, Great White's playing, Queens Queensryche's playing, and I, it's unplugged. And I said, oh, okay, oh, I'll come down and I'll do a song. But when, I, when they said unplugged, I thought they meant unplugged. But, you know, they were there unplugged, but it was like, you know, they had a drummer and a bass player <laughs> and a guitar <laughs> yeah. player, and yeah. I mean, it was a band. And so I show up with the goose guitar going, I don't well they're playing like as a band i'm just yeah. going hum, 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 hum. so i said screw it you know so i went up there and did it anyway and i just played like three or four songs just kind of winged my way through it and after the show jeff Tate said, man i thought that was really cool you know like that was kind of a really interesting i, I kind of talked it was like a storytelling oh okay. this is why i wrote this song and i was drunk on tequila in mexico in 1985 and i wrote it in my dreams and so i did kind of a storytelling thing and why i came up with this song and what it's about and um And then he called me and he says, we're going on tour and maybe it'd be cool if you're a special guest and just come on tour and and play by myself? He goes, yeah, just acoustic guitar and maybe some guy jamming with you or a guy at piano. And I said, I don't know because it's dangerous. You know, you got a band, you make a mistake, it goes by. Really opening yourself up. I mean, it's like this. I'm sitting here, spotlight on you, I'm playing. If I blow a clam or I choke, right everybody's gonna know it <laughs> yeah so I saw so I in a moment of insanity I said yeah okay I'll do it yeah. and the next thing I know we're doing 30 shows and but it'll be fun to hang out I, I said well at we least get to see you guys every night for free yeah you so look at it that way right. I love Queens right sure so I'm gonna try it I, I still haven't figured out what I'm gonna do I'm just gonna just do it cool. you know but a lot of people heard some acoustic stuff we did that's been on the net they said I really love these acoustic versions of Dokken, and and I said, well, I think it's a, it's a nice homage to show that if you write a good song and you take all the drums and the solos and the harmonies and just strip it all down, if the song still lives, if it still right. sounds cool, cool and you song. still like right. it, yeah. well, then it, it's I think it's a, it's a good song. Right. Without all the you know fluff and the bells and the whistles, right. you it's still the a good song. To yeah, and
2: that's one song. thing yeah.
1: Dockin always had was that you had you had the
2: the technical guitar and drums and, and musicianship, but you always mm-hmm. had the songs. Right. You know, and, and uh, sometimes that even got overlooked a little bit. So I think this is a, a good time to just get out there. and
1: Yeah, it might songs. be a good thing. And, and I figured, well, I did do a solo album. My solo album I did over two years ago. It wasn't something I wanted to do commercially. Uh, I just, you know, always people, my band members always say, you know, you're really good at writing ballads and, you know, that's your thing. And so I wrote a whole album of ballads. Yeah. Not necessarily not. But they're but they're more like new age. I mean, they're yeah, like, some of them are kind of dark. Is they're they're You heard those old samples, yeah? yeah. On the they're dark. They are dark and kind of moody. And um, I had all these famous people playing the album, which to me are famous. But into the general public, people go. Who are these people? I mean, Michael Thompson's like the number one guitar player in Los Angeles and sessions. Tony Franklin played Rubber Plant. He was playing okay. the bass. John Keane does all the compositions for uh, CSI. You always see music by John M. Keane. Oh, cool. He did all the pianos and strings and. Uh, Alex I had all these famous people play on it. So I just wrote this song on acoustic guitar, gave him the tape, and said, do what you want. Wow. You want to put a violin, a guitar, a bass, you guys, you just do what you want, and just kind of, and we built this really, I, I'm proud of that record. Yeah. I mean, John loves it. John goes, man, I think this album's awesome. Cool. But it's something you would like if you're kicking back at night. I don't believe that, it, that every night people go home and want to put on the Metallica Black album. Right. I don't believe that. You know, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. But, I mean, sometimes you want to just chill, listen to something a little more mellow, have a glass of wine, you're hanging out and talking to your friends, and just, just something, yeah. a little kick. So that's what I did. But when I submitted to the labels, I think half of them said, no, we don't want it. They go, what do we do with this? Right. Because they were thinking, Up from the Ashes, Don Dock, on a rock album, 91. And I said, well, it's acoustic. And they're like, we don't know what to do with wow. it. And that's kind of a dilemma. If you see a docking record, it's this word docking, you're assuming it's rock. Right. And... I mean, look at what happened to Extreme. They did more than words and I think millions of people that were like in their fifties and sixties bought that album. Right. And, the first, that song is that. Right. and yeah. the first song's punk. Like <laughs> and the first song's like don't dick it don't and they're like, What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. I mean they had that one song that was like a Bastard Child, but you know, that, that extreme album was really kinda of funk, had a lot of funk right. in it and yeah. so I don't know what's gonna happen with that record. But I did do it and I figured I'll just sell it on the Queen's Right Tour and if people gravitate to it you know god bless them and we'll see what happens i'm i like so you're, it you're going to kind of release it yourself and just sell it yeah as on the merchandise thing and then and oh, if, cool. well now, a couple, now the labels are coming forward right, right people like starbucks and stuff like that that's oh, all cool to sell it they yeah. want to put it out and i said well uh, you know we'll see how it goes but it's funny listen to it two years later you're, you're right it is kind of dark i didn't see that at the time i just yeah. figured this is a ballad next song next song but i listen to it i go oh it's kind of mopey you know Mo- it's ethereal It's esoteric. it's it should be on Wyndham Hill with, you know, George right. Winston That's and William right. Ackerman. It's like a William Ackerman, George Winston, Craig Chikisos, Kustakai. Right. It's kind of down <laughs> that James Taylor. It's kind of down that road. Right. So I just did it because it was something in my soul I needed to get out of my system. Cool. If it sells five copies, fine. Right.
3: You, you know what? One of the things that you once actually told me is that, uh, you know, you write songs uh, about your, your relationships and about being hurt. And one of the, the things is that you said some people won't admit that they were ever hurt. And I think that's a little crazy, because everybody's been
1: hurt. Every, well, it's ego, isn't it? Right. Well, she's male. It's male pride. And, you know, how many guys admit that, you know, I mean, I've heard it a million times. You know, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, I dumped her. Right. More than likely, she dumped him, and oh, I got rid of her. But it's a hard thing. I mean, people say, like Sting, he wrote, uh, you know, uh, that song, uh, the Queen of... Uh, king of pain and you know and they say well you write these songs about being hurt and paying your life from whatever you do and what do you do when you come to the point in your life you're happy you're at peace you're successful you're, you're you know life is good and you're trying to go back and people think you have to be wasted on heroin screwed up on cocaine drunk wasted out of your mind to get to that place of writing dark songs about this girl hurt me or my parents did this, and I did that. And at some point in your life, and, and he said a good thing. He said, well, you know, I'm not angry, and I'm not upset. But he goes, but I have a well of memories. Mm-hmm. You know, you had that well of memories through your life of all the your first love in high school and college and the girl that you thought was going to be the one, and she, and you found out she was sleeping with your best friend. And <laughs> But you have that well to go to to write about stuff like that. So I, I get that. you know. But a lot of people think you have to... Be, you know, semi conscious and be suffering and be in pain and suffering to write a song about suffering and pain. I don't think you have to. And I think a lot of musicians, that's their downfall, that they feel they have to be in a miserable, suffering state of mind all the time to write about that. I don't think you have to. Cool. Interesting. And besides these two records, the newer records that we're talking about, you
2: have another record that came out rather recently that's old. From conception. From conception yeah. mm-hmm. 1981, which I, I downloaded off of iTunes. Pretty and cool, huh? Yeah, yeah. Why, why did you wait like over 25 years to it? I didn't know that? we had it. You didn't wow. know?
1: Oh, okay. No, I, this, uh, they had asked us to do a 25th anniversary of Breaking the Chains, the okay. song. Remix it, remaster it, you know. and You know, back in the day, everything sounded like it had 8 million tons of reverb on it. And I said, well, I think I have the master, and I'll, I'll go pull uh, Breaking the Chains out of the uh, Dock and Bolts, you know. We'll remix it for, the, for an anniversary release. And here we have, you know, millions of tapes in these big rows of two inch. Remember when they used to have tape? Right. Yeah. Back in the day when they had tape? <laughs> yeah. Before you it was can't Pro even Tools. Buy that anymore, I don't <laughs> the craziest thing. You got to order it from yeah. somebody in like France, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I went there and I just saw these boxes, but, you know, the boxes were white, 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 white. And these two boxes were like faded and yellow. And, and I looked at it and I said, well, what's this? I put it and it said, Dawkins Live. Wow, wow. Didn't say where, didn't say what it was. It just said live. and Live, and I looked at it, and I went, what the hell is this? So I actually had to take those tapes, bring them down here, and we had to reconnect the 2-inch machines, which... Wow, which no, they just haven't been used use anymore. They're, they're, you know, they're ashtrays. <laughs> you know, it's pro tools, you know. Right. We don't use it. And so we had to hook up the machines, plug in all the old 2-inch machines, put the tape up, and Wynn said, you know, when a tape sits for 20 years, you only play it once or twice because yeah,
3: the, the oxides fall right. off Right, yeah, and then,
1: and then it just sticks to the head, and it breaks, man. and it tears, yeah. and it's destroyed. Wow. So really, the, what you have to do with those tapes, you have to take an oven, a special bake- oven, bake them. So we have to bake them at 400-something degrees. You bake them overnight, wow. and it binds the oxides. So we did that, and Wynn's like, okay, you got like one pass, maybe two passes, and this tape's going to start like falling apart. Wow. So we stuck it on, went right to, right to a hard drive, Pulled up the tracks, and I just kept going, what is this? Because we are playing Just Breaking the Chains, and two songs I'd never even heard of. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, that's me singing. Right. That's George playing guitar. I know it's George. That's me. And I'm like, well, there's some other guitar player. Well, that's me playing guitar, too. I go, what is this? I had to call Mick, and he goes, oh, yeah, I remember. I played it. He goes, ah, oh, we did something in Orange County, remember, when we just first got together, and some guy had a mobile unit, we just and I said, oh, I remember that. Jeff had been in the band like two weeks, oh, wow. and I went, oh, okay. So I put it up. I wouldn't have put it out if it was just horrible, but it sounds good. great. And everybody says, boy, you guys did a lot of repairs on that. I said, no. God is my witness. There's no overdubs. Right. There's no vocal fixes. The soul's, it, it is what it is, how it went it's down, cool. and that's the end of it. It's great. And it sounds pretty cool.
3: I like that because so many people go back and change, like, a live album isn't really live. And, and it's oh, I can name
1: a lot of people, and I'm not going to say it. <laughs> you know, we left right. the kick drum. Right. Yeah, I know That's lots of bands have gone in, redid the vocals, redid the guitars, redid everything and called it live. Wow. Yeah. Kept the audience track. Right,
3: right.
1: But, I mean, when I heard it, and we mixed I thought, this reminds me of maybe why we got successful. Because when you listen to from conception, you can tell... We're broke and starving. I can hear it. There's a lot of angst. Yeah, you know, I'm just going for it in the vocals. Everybody's just going for it. You can tell there's like we want to make it. We want to get successful. You can tell there's a lot of just fire and passion in that performance because we, we were like, you know, rooming. You know, three of us were living in a house together, oh. and we had no money. And you can—it's cool. got a lot of angst to it. And when you, when you think back to 1981, Docking to me was
2: always kind of—you guys were the first you know, wave of hard rock, hard rock. Mm-hmm. to come out of Los Angeles. And when you look at what happened by the end of the 80s, I mean, it had gotten so diluted and, and people were just flocking on the bus from all over the country and coming Beyond to California. Yeah. What... Can you talk about the scene and and when you guys broke and when all the copycats started to come after you and and how that felt coming back to Hollywood after you've already been out and tour and been selling
1: millions of records and selling out places to come it's back and see? Funny you mention that because we were up at another studio there at the Chop Shop a couple days ago. The studio was booked, so we had to go. Mick was in town, we had to go cut another drum track to replace something. So we're up at the Chop Shop. It's this big mansion up in Nicholas they have a studio. We went up there and Mick and I were leaving. I said, well, we'll just go get a hotel and spend the night. And uh, we're going down into sunset, and we're driving with a rainbow. And I said, you know, let's go get in there and get some chicken soup. Cause I, the yeah. chicken soup is, I don't care, it's the best chicken soup in the whole planet. Nobody can beat the rainbow chicken soup. So I said, let's go get a couple of soups, we'll take it to the hotel. And Mick's like, oh, I don't want to do the rainbow, you know, oh, come on. I said, we'll just pull in, we'll order it to go, we'll grab it. And we pulled in, and we looked around, and, and Mick had been there, like, in a couple of years. He was right. in Arizona, and he's like... He goes, what, what's going on? Wow. It's kind of like the rock scene's back, but I don't, who are all these people? And everybody's wearing eyeliner and mascara again and, yeah. you know, and got hey, the hey, dark hey. thing going, okay. you know, and it's got the goth, and everybody's in black and the, you know, gun belts. And I said, yeah, it's some kind of a resurgence. And I'm, and, but it's not the same as it was when right. we did it. We started at the Rainbow. We played the whiskey with Van Halen. We wow. played the star with, uh, God, I remember... Randy Rose had just joined Ozzy, and he was in Quiet Riot. Okay. And they did their last farewell show two nights with Quiet Riot. It was at the Starwood, and the bill was Van Halen, Quiet Riot, Dawkins. Wow. wow. What That's an awesome. amazing... Van Halen wasn't Riot Riot. signed either. Wow. You know, Van Halen was kind of right in the middle of their... Where people were talking they are going to get a deal, and they are going to make a record. And, and I remember Gene Simmons was there, and Paul Stanley, and, and the upstairs had a VIP, and there was just... And it was Tommy Lee and the guys and there was just packed full of all these people. And it was Van Halen, Quiet Riot and us. We went on about eight. And then we watched Quiet Riot with Randy. It was his last two shows. It was a big party afterwards. And I remember there was just tons of girls and and they looked like they just walked out of the Strip bar, you know yeah. you know they were in the corsets and the you know, and the skirts or the skirts were like if you coughed, you could see everything, yeah. and that's just the way it was in the eighties wow. and, and it was exciting and there was you know it was partying and drugs and and you know you could try to go to the bathroom and you're banging on the door and you can't get in because someone's in the bathroom, you know doing whatever we call it the classy toilet sex you know, how do you romance them and say, I really dig you, I really like you man, I'm you know, I'm really into you and I respect you and uh, you know, and let's have sex over the toilet. Right. <laughs> that's like, let's go on and hurry up. Right. So that's the way it was, and that's wow. the truth and every, and it's not me saying this, every band you see interviewed from, from Tommy Lee to Vince to, to you know, every band, Rat, they have all have the same story about how crazy it was on the Sunset Strip. Then it died. But in my opinion, a lot of the bands they did it themselves. Everybody complains that the rock is done in the late '80s, but it was—they did it. Yeah. You know, we we were out in '81, '82, breaking the chains. Van Halen came out in like '78, '79, and then uh, Quiet Riot was the first band ever for a metal album to go to number one. Yeah. Right. We were, and that was the three bands I remember that came out of the scene. Then right after that follow-up, uh, Motley Crue would come out with their Enigma record. Uh, too fast for. Too Fast for Love, yeah. And Michael Wagner, who did Dawkins, he mixed that record. And uh, I, I told Enigma, get Michael Wagner, he can fix it, because it didn't sound good, and he fixed it up. So that was the four bands that were kind of the scene. Motley, Quiet Riot, Ben Halen, Dawkins, and a couple other bands. Then we all went off and did our thing and did the world tours and the arenas. And then I saw these other bands, like Poison lived like in the Midwest, and they came out yeah. here. Mm-hmm. I remember them trying to like get backstage to see us. Wow. You know, CC going, Don, can you get me backstage? And I'm like, sure. And he's, I got a band. I went some sign with the Troubadour. And I remember the night that Ben Halen got, I mean, not Ben Halen, Metallica got signed. My manager signed, uh, Clint, Cliff Bernstein signed Metallica. Wow. I remember the night he went to the Troubadour and I went with them. And he says, something about signing this band. Now, you got to remember, it's the days of Def Leopard. Yeah. Pyramania, Hysteria, right. and it was Whitesnake and you know, big harmonies and reverb and mm-hmm. production. And, and we're watching, the, watching Metallica in the Troubadour, and I'm like, and Cliff goes, I'm going to sign these guys. You know, they're going to be big. And I'm, I'm going, what are you talking about? I mean, they're, they're kind of rough and ragged, and they're aggressive. I didn't get it. Right. I didn't get it at all. And he was saying, this is going to be a huge band at the time he'd only signed which they became the biggest manager in the world Q Prime they had Def Leppard in England and they had Dawkins that's the only bands they had wow and I remember him saying I'm going to sign Metallica and I thought it's a a waste of time I mean this it's because they weren't in Vogue and the rest is history the Cliffs saw something as far as their honesty their angst their passion and I and I remember thinking when they go on stage every show they did was kind of like it's our last show Wow. Well, you know, they had this hundred. Men- yeah, this Metallica. You know, I mean, James was everything. He's like, if I die, that's fine. It's it's a, it was hundred fifty percent every night. They wow. just were so in your face. And I got that. And he signed him. And then the rest is history. But I remember that whole thing going down. And Metallica was starting to come up the ladder. And Motley had their success. We also we played with Motley Crue at the Roxy, and yeah. they had Too Fast for Love out. And Breaking the Chains was only out in Europe. Wow. wow. So I played with all these bands. We grew up together. We all came up the ladder, and then I don't want to name names because that's not right because, you know, the old Buddha says if you have anything good to say, don't say anything. But a lot of bands started focusing on bigger hair, more makeup. Uh, we must have a singer that has an androgynous female face. It doesn't matter if he can't sing. As long as he looks like a chick, right. <laughs> he's got the moves, and he, and he can kind of fake the David Lee Roth kicks, he's a singer. Wow. And that started happening. And you saw it happen on MTV. Right. It got more about the video, the makeup, the hair, the clothes. It went worse and worse and worse. But all of a sudden, the songs became yeah. less important, less yeah. important, yeah. less important. I'm going, but the song, what about the song? Yeah. It just became, and so I think it was kind of like the scene destroyed itself because they weren't writing good songs. Right. Well, it's, I, yeah, it's back to what we were saying, that Dokken yeah. always had those songs, yeah. and it's more than the hairdo and the flashy guitar solo. Comes and that's down more of a mentality, whole, yeah. obsessive. I am obsessive-compulsive. Uh, I didn't even have a house at the time. I lived in an apartment in Culver City, I remember. We had a gold record, and I think the manager said, you know, you did great, you got a gold record, and now you only owe $300,000 worth of company.
4: Right.
1: We had no money. Whoa. And our manager actually was paying us, he gave us all $800 a month to live on.
3: Hmm. Wow.
1: 200 bucks a week, 800, <laughs> 800 bucks a month. I had roommates. <laughs> Look at my roommates. Uh, Guns N' Roses manager was living there, Alan Niven, his wife, uh, uh, Jack Russell, some of these people. We were all kind of like, we had no money. Right. And that's when I discovered uh, Great White. You know, I found him in Orange County in a garage. Produced him? Produced him. I brought him in here into, wow, into in the, the same action. studio. I brought him in here, and Enigma says, We have 7,500 bucks. And I went, To make a whole record? I said, well, if we can do it for five, at least us twenty-five hundred. I can give uh, twelve hundred dollars to Michael, to, and I'll get twelve hundred bucks. I can make twelve hundred bucks! Wow, for two or a month' work. But we were broke.
3: Right. Wow.
1: So I did the first Great White album, produced them, helped them out. Jack and I became great friends. Helped them with their second album, and did another album down the road. And then I didn't know what to do with them. I wasn't one of those business minds that said, "You sign this production deal. I get fifty percent if you ever right. make it." I get. I just went, "Hey, God bless you. I helped you out." If you have success, good for you. By the way, I got this guy living at my house. And he's on my couch, and I really want to get him off my couch. Right. So I'm tired of supporting him. His name is Alan Niven. Let him manage you, and that's how, <laughs> wow, that's that's how, how he got up. And then he ended up getting him guns and roses too. And, and then the rest of his sister with that, they kind of he kind of went crazy and they got rid of him. <laughs> so that all went down and it was and it was great. But I remember Great White, I'll give them a lot of credit. They were just a kind of a bluesy, you know, band. Sure. They didn't go down the whole thing. Their first album, yeah, they got poofy hair, and then they kind of said, "Fuck this," you know. Jeans, t-shirt. Yeah. Um, We're guilty. I mean, the record company. We did our and key every time I see the album cover, I'm embarrassed. Really? Yeah. We're gonna hire this clothing designer, this Ralph Spoutap, and Mick will be purple, you'll be blue, (laughs) George will be red, and Jeff will be green. And they had, like, these outfits they made. It was like $10,000. And we looked like waiters. <laughs> we had, like, these, you know, angled things. And we all had a like color. A costume,
3: yeah. right. Just okay. like Spinal yeah, Tap, yeah. you know. You'll be the
1: lion. You'll be the... <laughs> and we all had costumes. And we did the album cover. And they psh, ratted up our I hair. I remember
3: your hair. That was the one album where the hair Huge got Huge hair. Right. It got big. Nick had hair. With me. His hair was like, <laughs> wah!
1: You know? Humongous hair. We all had different color outfits. We did the album cover. So now we're starting to look like... Well, we didn't like the whole 80s, kind of a glam thing and the right. makeup. We're all good. I mean, I look like a chick. My girlfriend saw me. I met my girlfriend. I'm, you know, She's like, who is that? Where are you? I go, I'm the guy in the middle. She goes,
3: you look like a chick. I thought that was a girl.
1: <laughs> she goes, you look like a woman. I go, eh. So we did that album cover, wore those outfits, the first show on the Judas Priest Triple Lover tour, they're all in black leather. We're wearing these silly outfits. You couldn't move your arms. We're sweating like hell. And the next day, I'm like, screw this. And we took right. all those things and just threw them in the trash. Right. Wow. Went back to our just jeans and boots right. and black shirts. But the album stigmatized this as, oh, Dawkins, a glam, ha- glam hairband. Hair band. Right. 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 And now you get got these, all these radio stations. I, I get really bummed when they call me up and they go, we want you to do an interview. What's it called? hairball, hair of hair this, hair that, hairspray, hair nation, metal hair. I'm like, oh, man, it's right. a little that's derogatory. Not, about, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. We always It is a little them. derogatory. Yeah. We, well, we Sebastian
2: always, Bacchus we. said he doesn't like the term hair, hair metal. metal. Because
1: right. back in the day, we never called it hair metal. Yeah. It was no. it was music. You Hard know, was rock hair or metal. metal. Yeah. And that's a, that's an oxymoron. The guys who had the big hair weren't metal bands. Right. right. So why say hair metal? Why don't you call it hair glam pop? Right. right. Hair metal is an oxymoron. That doesn't, doesn't just because we had long hair, but but they took the whole, you know, at the end of the nineties eighties, the bands that looked like that and it was all about the look and the hair, and they kind of took the word hair and were, used the word metal, and I'm like, metal to me is priest. Right. Yeah. Iron Maiden. Dio. And Doc and we were kind of schizophrenic. You had our we had the In My Dreams, big harmonies like a Deaf Leopard. We had it's Not Love, Alone Again, The Hunter, and people go, oh, yeah, they were one of those kind of bands. I'm like, um, you're not a Dawkins fan. How about Heaven Comes Down, Tooth and Nell To the Living End, Kiss of Death. We had those medals. Lightning I Strikes, yeah. Yeah, Lightning Strikes Again. That's like full on. Yeah. So we had that schizophrenic, you heard in the radio, you know, in my dreams it's still right. the same. The next song is. Gong We're all dark, but people don't remember that side of us the quote-unquote radio fans, the hardcore fans, like you like guys, know it, right, you right. guys go. I remember Heaven. I remember Two right. Living In. I remember Tooth and Nail. So it was kind of a bummer that we kind of got lumped into the. You have long hair. You are a hair band.
3: And some of those bands that you were talking about that um, you know didn't have the songs like you had kind of ruined it because they they made hair metal, you know, be something that wasn't not about music. It was just about a look. And Doc was not. Anything like that. You guys, no. I mean, your songs, the, the, the melodies, uh, you know, take away the guitar parts. If you just sing what you just did now, you know, in my <clears> dreams, <throat> you know, that stands alone. And I, I defy half of these other bands to say, strip everything away, just sing the vocal line, and, and there's no song there. Right. But your tunes, you can actually just sing the vocal line and it sounds like a, there's a, hit a mel- song. To
1: it's a, there's a melody within the composition. Right. And it was frustrating for us to do that. Can you see how frustrating it was for us that we felt we were valid and were given the quote unquote commercial songs? I didn't write them in purpose to be commercial, it's just what came out of my heart. And then George was more like, he's the guitar player, and he wrote these darker riffs, so I'd write these dark lyrics to fit the song. So it was very frustrating toward the end when, when now, they call you hair band, hair metal, hair this. But I don't feel too bad now because the fans that were into and Know that we were. Well, look at the bands we toured with. We didn't tour with the Warrants and the Poisons and the Rats, and we didn't even tour with Motley Crue. Not that there were bad bands, but if you look at the bands we toured with Priest, Priest, Aerosmith, Kiss, ACDC, Scorpions, Metallica. On Monsters of Rock, yeah. All these bands. We toured Europe, you know, we did a full blown ACDC tour. Now, ACDC, you've got to have some kahunas to open up for those guys. Right. <laughs> and we, but then the truth is, we did drop a lot of the more commercial songs. They did our heavier stuff. Right. But we, could, we had the heavy stuff to hold our own. You put sure. a Poison on tour with ACDC, it would have lasted yeah. about two days. Right. And then the fans would have, no. have went for it. We did the Turbo Lover tour. Oh, yeah. cool. We I was yeah. at that. Yeah, uh, Rosemont right. Horizon
2: in uh, Chicago.
3: Yeah.
1: Turbo Lover tour, Aerosmith's Permanent Vacation, Last in Line with D.O., we did, you know, everything from Loverboy to Priest. That's right. to you guys did the Dio tour too. Yeah, Last in right. Line tour, that was us. Yeah, yeah. So, we played with all the what I felt were the my heroes, the credible bands. We didn't really go with this I think there was a first wave of metal, early days of MTV, and then like 86, right, 7ish, then the, the next wave of bands came along, it was more they, you know, they're, they're spinning around the floor with the guitars and right. doing choreography <laughs> right. and, you know, and, the, and that was a different thing. I'm not right. knocking was, those bands. Yeah. They had it was hits. different, though. Yeah, good for them. Right. The only band, I mean, my favorite band of the later genre that I thought was a really great band and still a great band that didn't do all that was Cinderella.
3: They right. had big hair, right.
1: but, man, they they're had, songs. They had Tom great was, songs. Was great, yeah. He knows how to write a song. Right. That band had great guitar player. They had great guys in the band. The songs had cool melody with that kind of southern
3: right. yeah. bluesy thing blues, on it. Yeah, blues edge to it.
1: They stood alone. Sure. Cinderella, right. I go, well, that's a band that's got something unique and got their own sound, and I really respect the Cinderella for that. Even though the band name right. was, a, is. was a bad call, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't call my band Cinderella.
4: Right. You right.
1: Know? <laughs> what's your name of your band? Cinderella. I know, what are bands? Well, but what's the name of your band? Cinderella. You know, for me, it it stigmatized them with that name. Right. Yeah. But once you listen to their music, you're like, great, they rock, great right. band. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah. Like Aerosmith would not have been called Cinderella. No. <laughs> right. Right.
1: Right. Melissa, right.
2: I had a, a couple more oh, questions okay. that yeah. I, I really, want, but I don't know how much time we have, so. Uh, yeah.
3: I know you guys Can
2: have. I? Yeah, I know you have to go. somewhere. all Yeah. You mentioned Quiet Riot earlier, and mm-hmm. I know you've done a lot
1: of work with Frankie in the past. And yeah, he actually played in Dawkins for a while. Yeah. And you were on his Led Zeppelin uh, tribute. Cashmere. Was, yeah. yeah. I did that like two and a half years ago, and I just heard it came out, and then I saw some uh, radio stuff, and um, and now I'm bragging. But, you know, this, it's a great album, but uh, apparently everyone's playing Cashmere. Yeah. Cool. The one I sang, which I didn't think I did. I couldn't sing those high stuff that, Hal, I mean, that um, Plant did, but I tried to keep it as true to Robert as I could and kind of put my own little thing on it. Cool. But it came out cool. That's a good album.
2: Yeah. Um, Speaking of Quiet Riot, we recently lost Kevin, and I I don't know what your relationship was with Kevin, but I wanted to at least ask you, as a a Quiet Riot
1: fan, if you could share any memories of of Kevin Dubrow and Quiet Riot. No, I was, uh, you know, I can't remember the exact day he passed away, but I heard about it in the morning, and I kind of didn't believe it. I thought maybe it was one of these, these, like, really. Vicious rumors. Of course, I've known Frankie my whole life, and I grew up with Kevin. Like I said, we played. I played with Quiet Riot on the on the Randy Rhodes the day, farewell yeah. show. So I've known Kevin my whole life, and we and to him we grew up in the strip. Yeah. We did the whiskey and the and the Starwood, and we played at Gazaris, and so I'd known Kevin my whole life, and I would just seen him a couple of months ago, and I remember he got the airport, and I commented, I said. Hey, wow, Kevin, you're looking, he was all tan, looking yeah, fit, you know, yeah. and, you know, I've never seen him drink, never seen him smoke a cigarette. He, I never, I've known Kevin my whole life. I never saw him wasted. I've never seen him, you know, screwed up at all. And so I was shocked, and I kept thinking, you know, it can't be a drug thing. It must be, you know, something happened, or his hard, or he has a genetic thing. And I did call Frankie uh, the day after he passed away, and I just said, uh, I called to say I'm really sorry, anything I can do. And Frankie was hysterical. I mean, he was just crying his eyes out. So then I started crying. So it's even hard to talk about. You know, Kevin and I, I mean, I mean, Frankie and I were just bawling back and forth. I was crying. He was crying. And I said, it's just not right. And I just was, I was in shock. Yeah. And then I kept hoping that it was some kind of an accident and some that. And then when I find out it was a, an drug, accidental drug overdose, I thought. But that's something... I didn't know about right. Kevin. Yeah. I didn't know if he did drugs or cocaine. When I saw him on tour, he was just up there doing his Kevin thing and he was always real up. Hey Don, how you doing? You know, We go to the airport, you know, we're all doing a good together. And he'd shake my hand. He was always very up and animated and I never, I didn't know he even did drugs. That's yeah. That's the honest truth. I'm not trying to cover for him. I didn't know he did drugs. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he did coke. You know, I don't relate to coke. You know, of all the bands that all admit they did drugs and And Nikki Six says, You know, I died on the, you know, from heroin and blah, blah, blah. I never did cocaine, ever. I've never done cocaine in my life. Everybody in my band knows it. I've had bands walk up to me and go, Hey, Don, you want to do some coke? And I go, I don't do coke. Oh, come on. How many times have we gotten high together? I said,
3: Never.
1: Zero. Might have been somebody else in the band. Might have been Mick or George or Jeff, but it sure in the (laughs) hell wasn't me. I don't do coke. Never understood it. Crystal meth. I, I really go that way. You know, when I get, I'm a very hyper person. I'd rather really take a Xanax and, <laughs> and go, all right, you guys are all fighting, it's cool. But I never I never understood the whole thing about taking a drug that makes you paranoid and, and like this, whatever that thing does to you. So I never did drugs and I was really shocked and and it's just another, you know, another uh, you know, rock star that's gone, you know, ant whistle, you know, yeah, Sure. You know, sixty something yeah. years old, doing drugs all night, he's gone. It's kinda of sad you think about there's two people now in Quiet Riot. That are gone. It's Kevin and Randy. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, two members of a band that went to number one and had a huge hit and sold six million records, and it's just sad. But my only memories of Kevin was it was fun, right? And he had his own personality, you know, on stage. And I have all these memories of playing the Starwood and the Whiskey with them back in 1979, 1980. Yeah, wow, wow. That's a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, I grew up with Quiet Riot and Van Halen. I remember Eddie Van Halen having a van, and we played one night with uh, Journey or somebody, or maybe it was YT, I can't remember, but Van Halen was playing, and I remember I was the guitar player and singer of the band. I'd heard of Eddie Van Halen. At that time, I thought I was a pretty good guitar player. It was before right. Lynch was in the band. Lynch right. was in the band. We were three-piece. Juan Cruz was playing bass. I thought I was a pretty good guitar player. I was pretty known as a good shredder. I did my show, went back to my dressing room, I heard this thing going on, and I'm like, I thought they only had one guitar player. And I remember walking out of my dress room on this balcony, looking down at the balcony, looking at Eddie and going, what the hell is he doing? And he had the two hands on the neck, and I'm like, what the hell is that? I'd never seen it before. Right. And I swear to God, and I've known Eddie for a long, long time, and I said... I told him, and here we were years later, we were playing at the Whiskey Starving, and years later we were doing Monsters Rock, and we all made it. And I said, I remember the day I saw you play, and he had this, he had a big missile, it was like a real rocket, and he had this <laughs> echo, he did, it was a metal rocket, he oh, like drug an around, chain, yeah. and he yeah. had this rocket in there, and he put like an echoplex in there, and he used to do this thing with smoke come out of it and everything. And, and I said, the night I saw you play, I said, well, that's it. Over. I'm putting the guitar down. Yeah, I'm going to concentrate on singing. I'm going to get a better guitar player. It's ah. like, okay, my guitar playing days are over because I can never do that in a million years. He's obviously a genius. In my opinion, Eddie was the next guy after Hendrix. Yeah, right? no, I know, agree. There are I agree. Lots of shredders, Ingbe and Michael Shanker, and, and all that. But Eddie reinvented the guitar and did this, this tapping thing and the two hand things, and his speed was so lightning fast that I just, like, I could never do that. I, I'm done. And uh, I was pretty wild to see that, you know. And now they're back together. And Have you caught him on the recent tour? No, no. man. John's going to see him tomorrow night, and, and uh, I haven't seen him. And I remember David Lee Roth, I'm thinking, because, you know, we were more of a serious singer back then. You was sitting at the mic, and he went like this. And when I saw David Lee Roth doing the kicks and jumping around, I'm like, what's his trip? You know, <laughs> I, uh, what's, this, what's this have to do with music? Music is serious. You're supposed to be serious, you know. It was more of a Robert Plant thing. You just kind of get into a cool pose, and you rock out. And then here's David, man, doing splits and jumping around and harassing and heckling the audience. And I'm like, <laughs> this is a very strange front man. But he kind of reinvented the frontman thing and made it uh, an experience. And then all the singers started trying to be David Lee Roth. Yeah. And what I've heard is that David is... Looks great. He's healthy. Yeah. He's, he's got his game on. He's just the same old sarcastic Dave he ever yeah. was. And I'm like, well, God, I think that's awesome. I wish I could go see him. Yeah. But those were the, that was, uh, you know, a lot of people changed. A lot of people. What I'm getting at is a lot of people haven't. Ben Halen's still got their game. And a lot of people have come and gone and died, and it, and it really sucks. <laughs>
3: well, on a, on a positive note, I, I got so to ask like
0: a... the final question. Yeah. Yeah, okay. okay.
3: There's something that Mark and I kind of disagree on, and um, and it's it's about the difference between touring back in the '80s and mm-hmm. touring now. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I caught up with you the last time, it was in the back of your bus. It was uh, filled with uh, some, some pretty hot females. And they were hot, <laughs> right? And uh, my question is, what's that like now? Is it different now than it was back in the day, or is it the same?
1: It has nothing to do with the '80s. Oh, okay. I mean, we just came back from a six-week tour in Europe. And I think about the 16th show, a couple of girls want to come on the bus and hang out. And we were making jokes, like Mick goes, there's some girls that want to come on the bus. Are you sure they're girls? Yes, they're <laughs> girls. How they look, he goes, so-so, but they're girls. <laughs> <laughs> and it's changed. There's some, I think, I don't know if it's the morality or the whole thing with AIDS, but you were on our bus. Right. And you saw there's like mini skirts for days, It was like, you know, she's a Playboy bunny, centerfold, model, pet of the month. I mean, they were just these gorgeous drop dead girls on our bus every night. And um, when I did the Scorpions White Snake tour with Dawkins in 2003, I thought, Scorpions, white snake, Dawkins? Oh boy, it's gonna be going on backstage. Backstage it was family wives, Uh their kids are running around, kids, no girls are backstage, there's no groupies, there's no weirdness going on, there's no drugs. It was just like family. I mean, we should have had a, a, a romper room with little toys. <laughs> it was very Kid straight up. Then we get older, and right. you fall in love. I mean, shame on a person that gets into their 40s or 50s and goes, yeah, I'm still just chasing girls. Well, that means you've got have problems. You've got to, you should be able to find your partner or someone you love and have a relationship. Of course, when you're young, you got testosterone, and you're on this mission, and everybody admits they slept with 1,000 women, 2,000 women. But i think i I would hope that when you get older, you grow up right. I'm not interested in sleeping with anybody I don't know. I don't want to sleep with anybody. you know I have someone that loves me dearly. Why would I go out and screw that up for a one night stand in in ohio right right in the old days we i think we were you know rocks when you're famous, I think it gives you a it gives you a, a an excuse to be not accountable for your actions. you're emotionally arrested because it's like you know. If you went out and screwed five girls, they're going shame on you. Right. If a rock star goes out and dead, they go, well, he's a rock right, star. Yeah, right. it's okay. yeah. He's a rock star. What do you expect? He's it's a rock simple, star. Yeah. It's kind of an excuse to have no honor, no morals, not accountable for your actions. Even if you have a girlfriend at home and you're going to destroy her and crush your heart if she finds out, nobody was accountable in the 80s. But I think as we get older, I would hope spiritually you get a conscience, Right. And you get your morals and you learn from your mistakes and and on and on and on. And that's where I'm at. I mean, I'm an old dude, you know. I, I have no, even if I brought a bunch of beautiful women on my bus, I'd be honored and go, wow, these girls still like us old geezers. But I don't want to take them back to my room. <laughs> right. I go, thank you, you're a babe, you're a babe, you're a babe. And if they go, where are you guys partying? I'm like, we're, we're, we're going to sleep. Right. <laughs> I'm tired.
3: Yeah. The, the, the weirdest phenomenon is when, there's a girl that comes on and says, uh, oh, my husband's outside. I remember, is that crazy? Is that nuts? I'm it's. am have... Oh, we had to go? Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, it's beyond nuts, dude. <laughs> we... I don't know how many girls have said, came on the bus, and they go, you know, I got to go. And they're, and they're doing, like, something in the bathroom. They go, I have, to, I have to go. And, you know, my husband's waiting for me. I go, where? Outside the bus. I go, your husband's outside the bus? And you're giving, a, you're giving head okay. to the roadie? I'm like, oh, man, that is just wrong. And the road manager's going like, she's just getting her, an autograph. She'll be right <laughs> out. And I'm like, she's getting an autograph, all right. But, I mean, I never understood that. And how many times have I seen the guy? It's almost like an honor. I've had guys say, dude, please, it'd be an honor. You know, do, <laughs> for, do my wife. Do my wife. <laughs> <laughs> do my wife. I'm like, uh, that's cool. Or you sign their breast. And he goes, man, I'm not, I'm not going to let her wash that off for a week. If some guy walked up and took a Mark slot and tried to sign you know, <laughs> my old lady's tit, I'd punch him in the mouth. Right, right. it's a strange thing. It is it's strange. a strange thing, rock and it's roll, strange. about that. You have no, there's no rules about morals and ethics, and it's like he's a rock star. Yeah, you can, you can be a jerk. You can, look, if you throw a TV out a window in the hotel. You go to jail. Yeah, absolutely. Right. If while Mick throws it out the TV, you just put the credit card down, right. you say, I'm That's sorry, okay. he was drunk, and you pay for it. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so <laughs> much, Don. Thank thank really I really appreciate, appreciate it. I hope yeah. you got something out of it. Sorry. Yeah, Ooh. oh,
2: absolutely. <laughs> uh, so we're going to maybe listen to a, a mix real quick or something? Yeah, if you want.
4: Okay. Yeah, that'd be yeah. great. are here.
1: That'd be yeah. awesome. So I hope you got something good out of that. I know that I I baff- think you got a lot of good stuff. I was babbling on. Yeah. I had four bread before I got here. I can't see your
0: face anymore Through our broken past I can't feel your pain anymore I am free at last This love is lost like a distant song In an endless sea. I try love anymore? You turned to